I don't know. Other than that, I'm like the classic fucking country singer that, oh, I have my heart broken. Here's a ding, 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 ding. You know what I mean? But that's, that's just life. You know, that just happens. Welcome back to the Late Late Podcast. I'm your host, Mace in real life. Um, this mic feels really high, but we're good. Um, so when I started this, you were one of the first people on my list. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like long time ago. Oh, jeez. I hope I don't disappoint you. No, man. I'm, ex- <laughs> I'm excited. So I got I got Josh Bravner here. Yeah. You know, it's it's awesome. Like, you got, you've been doing some crazy stuff. You know, just out there grinding. Yeah. That's yeah. all you can do, right? That's all you can do. <laughs> so... You want to tell the listeners and the watchers a little bit about yourself? Like, I know a little bit, but let, let them... Yeah, know. I'm Josh Bravner. I front a band in Fredericton called the Hypochondriacs. We are a six-piece, genreless group. Lots of people ask what kind of music we play, and I just kind of tell them it's uh, whatever, you know, we're feeling kind of is what we play. I, I basically write music. I wrote music to listen to music that i want to hear you know what i mean okay yeah because there's country music there's rock and roll there's blues there's folk there's gospel there's like all this kind of like inspiration for me that like um that i just kind of made in this melting pot you know we just say rock and roll or americana just to yeah you know breeze over the question sometimes but it's a little bit everything yeah started out as an elves impersonator with dad there's a lot to know, you know? That was a while ago, too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think you're younger than me, but we're we're getting up there. Um, so, yeah, like, when did you originally, like, when did you kind of, like, decide to start writing music? I can actually pinpoint a couple instances that were pivotal, pivotal for me to kind of, like, go from the Elvis impersonating world into kind of doing my own thing mm-hmm. so when i got into high school <clears throat> i kind of dropped the music thing like grade nine because um, at that point i was solely doing elves impersonations yeah and it was just like the gag of it was kind of over for me it was it was fun but i was you know getting older and i didn't want to sing to backing tracks karaoke tracks anymore i didn't want to do my hair and makeup you know because mm-hmm. it, it is a performance um you know, you're on stage, you want to look as much like Elvis as you possibly can, which for someone who looks like me, you know, takes a little bit of smoke and mirrors, yeah. um, eyeshadow and whatever, uh, lots of hairspray and gel. And, uh, you know, I just like, I loved it. I loved doing it. I loved doing it with my dad. It was a really, you know, special part of my growing up. Mm-hmm. But I'll never forget, I, uh, dad was like, hey, can you just come to me to this show? I think it was in I want to say Woodstock, New Brunswick at a school or something in the auditorium. You just come and just like, just come up and do a few songs. You don't need to do backing tracks. You can bring your guitar and yeah. we'll plug in your guitar and you can just sing Elvis songs. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I, you know, the era of Elvis that I performed in, you know, it didn't like wear the big suits or anything. I was more like the t- tuxedo kind of uh, blazer, you okay, know, nice yeah. shirt underneath me, like a rockabilly shirt. And I got up there, you know, minimal makeup, slicked back my hair and got up and I just started singing Elvis songs with me and my guitar. That was the first time I had done that in front of people, really. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, holy shit, this feels so good. This is what I want to do. Like that feeling of like performing and not relying on a karaoke track yeah, felt so good. So that kind of like reignited a passion for me, the passion of playing music and singing and, and whatever. Cause I, I always loved it. I've always been, you know, musical. Um, and then I remember, I think it was in grade 11. So I mean, what was that? 2010, 2011, 2010. Yeah. Um, and my dad was an instructor. We had a, we had like an enrichment program for the artistic kids at Leo Hayes okay. and, and FHS. And every Wednesday morning, we would all get together and we would collaborate as musicians. So there was musicians, there were uh, like writers, like poetry and novels, and there was also visual artists. So just like a bunch of different artists and we would all get together and then we would uh, disperse and the musicians would all go together. And that's how I like kind of became friends with all these, you know, musicians. Now they're, they're touring and stuff now that were in school with me. Mm-hmm. But there was a song that dad you know, played for us. And it's a song that, um, you can take anyway. It's mm-hmm. a song called dark was the night cold was the ground. It's by a guy named blind Willie Johnson. Okay. And so it's an old blues song from, I don't, I'm not even try to attempt to say the year it was. I, I don't know, but it's an old, old blues song mm-hmm. and there's no words. There's vocals. It's mostly like humming and hawing and moaning and there's guitar. Okay. And he played that and he goes, I want you guys to write something inspired by this piece of music so we got talking you know who was blind willie johnson what is this song and uh kind of uh the story goes is blind willie johnson um as a young boy his uh him and his dad had a really close relationship mm-hmm. and his dad ended up me remarrying this woman and she was super um jealous of her father or his father and his relationship. So to kind of try and sabotage it, she threw lie in his eyes, causing him to go blind. So he wasn't born blind. Okay. So Blind Willie Johnson, you know, grew up to be blind, became a preacher and a very influential songwriter as well. So I kind of wrote this song surrounding that story called Dark Was the Night. Mm -hmm. And uh, it got really good feedback. I put it on my first ever album. And even to this day we're going to reintroduce it into the hypochondriac set, but that was kind of, um, kind of my first go at writing something original other than like stupid little jingles that I wrote in my bedroom. But Mm -hmm. like, this was like the first time that I was like, okay, I'm going to write a song. And then you get that bug, right? Oh man, how many more songs can I write? What kind of songs do I want to write? And, and, uh, that's kind of how that transition period happened. Yeah. That's crazy though. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's intense. Cause um, so this is something that you guys are going to try to like re not rewrite, but like kind of, yeah, we've been jamming it a bit. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. It was actually, it's crazy. The song is at such a impact on, on me because before we were the hypochondriacs, we were just Josh Bravener mm-hmm. and then Keegan Manson Curry, a wicked fiddle player. Um, him and I were, uh, freaking out over germs one day before a gig because our, our singer, other singer at the time, she had the stomach flu the day before. So we were kind of freaking out. And then this, uh, whoever was hosting the show, I want to say my, my memory might be serving me wrong, but I want to say it was the FHS, um, uh, prom. Okay. And they asked us, what do you want your, what, what should we call you guys? And, uh, I was like, Josh Bravener. And then Keegan goes and the hype and the hypochondriacs as a joke. Oh, right. And then it just kind of stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
we we were kind of like this folk banjo upright bass pedal steel fiddle kind of group mm-hmm. called Josh Bravner and then to become Josh Bravner and the Hypochondriacs. Fast forward, I don't know, I want to say a year or something, and we're booked for a gig at the Capitol. You know, just starting out yeah. playing shows at the Capitol, and the only people that could make the gig were me. My brother Aaron, who was drumming at the time, mm-hmm. and Jamie Guitar, who's still playing bass with me now. And uh, I played banjo in the band, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to... Uh, oh, the rehearsal place I was rehearsing at only had an electric guitar to use. And Jamie only brought his electric bass just because it's easier to lug around. Mm-hmm. And we played Dark Was the Night, and we did it electric. And it was like... I remember it stopped, and we were all, we were all like, holy shit, <laughs> that was fucking awesome awesome that felt so good yeah. then from like that moment on it was like we're going we're going bob dylan electric baby and then that's just kind of how it happened and then you know started introducing more singers horns yeah 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 because you guys got like what did you say six six, six of us yeah. yeah that's that's good yeah i've got kelly waterhouse on saxophone janine gallant on the trombone jamie guitar on bass connor fox who's a fucking monster on guitar <laughs> crazy and then andrew demerchant on drums okay that's yeah. cool that's exciting, man. Frig. And the cap was like your first gig as the hypochondriacs or no, I don't know what the first gig was. The hypoch- There was a lots of band talk that I think one of the driving factors to drop the Josh Bravner bit was like, a, we did want to be seen as more of a band mm-hmm. rather than my band. Mm-hmm. As much as I still consider it, my baby, my, my project, um, we are a group. Mm-hmm. I do. I do write the songs, but the songs would not be anything, anything like they are without the group, the machine, if yeah. you will. And uh, also, when we we would, uh, I, I think it was Folly Fest. One of the organizers it was either Paul or Mike. We're like, man, your uh, band name's really hard to fit on a poster. <laughs> so I said, I'll just put the hypochondriacs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I suppose shorten it yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And even the hypochondriacs is still it's still a good link. I've had a couple instances where these guy drunk guys will come out of the crowd and be like, "Man, you need to change your band name. You'll never get anywhere with a name like the hypochondriacs." Like, Whatever, man. Is that um, recent or like one was recent and one wasn't? Because you should have just told them like some of the stuff you've done since. You yeah, I mean? like yeah. I was like coming up to this like getting you on here was I kind of like did a little research and like. Man, like, there's a list. <laughs> like, it's a list of stuff, right? Even trying to be just as busy as possible, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, Texas for, what is it, SX? South by Southwest. Yeah. Yeah, so South by Southwest is, um, it's just a huge art week. So, it covers everything from, like, you know, music to comedy to film. Yeah. To visual art. Like, everything. And every, like, there's so many people there. It's in Austin, Texas. Yep. So it was our first time ever playing in the U.S., which was pretty sick. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we yeah we got invited down there from a festival in the West called Breakout West. Okay. A representative came from Texas to see us, and they liked it. They said, you want to come down to Texas? We're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't pass that up. <laughs> no. No, I saw, like, uh, I remember seeing, um, like, you guys post it, and I was like, this is crazy. Like... This is a big stage, right? Like, well, yeah, well, yeah, it's a whole city. So it's like, is it like, um, kind of like Harvest in a sense, like where it's like stages everywhere? Yeah, but there's like no, like from what I saw, it was just happening in bars 
all the bars had live music. So the Canada House stage where we played and showcased mm-hmm. was at a place called Swan Dive. And okay. that was a really, really cool bar. It had an inside stage and outside stage. It was like staggered performances by different Canadian bands. Okay. Yeah, which was cool. And like it was crazy because there's like, I don't know if you ever heard of this guy named Talk. He's really big on TikTok. I think I have. Yeah, he's like a really big dude. He wears yep. overalls and he has that like yeah, song he just about Mars. In, yeah, I did. Yeah, he played the same stage, and That's it was t- it's this tiny little stage. But like, I knew he was big because as soon as we like were leaving the venue to go to the next place, there was like he was just swarmed by like media. Yeah, but like here he is. Like, and then I like looked him up afterwards. He's playing huge concerts. I think he opened up for like Shania Twain or something. He's yeah, like, he yeah. just played in Montreal. Like he had his own. Like it was massive. Yeah. And it's like, it's crazy. And his Canadian, like you said, right? Yeah. And so it, it, it's cool that like this conference in Texas, it's like, you're just playing where you're playing and it's, it's an honor to go down. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so cool to be invited down there. It looks super fun. Yeah. And uh, you guys had a tour, right? Or you're having a, no, you had we a tour. We just got back. Yeah. yeah. For the U.S. Like you did a little part of the U.S. We did a little bit of the Eastern Seaboard. Yeah. yeah. Down through Pennsylvania into Virginia. Now, how was that? Was that like playing them type of places? Like, was it different? Yeah. I mean, the festivals, it's, it is different. I, th- the thing about people in the U.S. that I haven't really noticed about a lot of venues in Canada is they buy merch mm-hmm. <laughs> it's insane i don't know if they're excited that this band from canada's coming down or what we played like this like theater and it was just like they were so supportive and like so just happy to have us there and just like getting us to sign absolutely everything and uh you know it, it, we played like this festival called the red wing roots festival mm-hmm. and that's in virginia and um it was kind of the same thing like i've noticed that like you know, a lot of festivals around here, they have their main stage and they have their side stages. Like, we played a side stage at Cavendish Beach Festival one year and, like, there was hardly anyone there. Mm-hmm. And then we played the smallest stage at this festival and it was jam-packed, let alone the main stage and the other big stage where, like, huge names are playing. Like, people wanted to go see, like, the underdogs. And it it was awesome. It was, like, yeah. it was such a it was such a cool, you know, experience. And... um it's not necessarily something I've noticed really happening around here, mm-hmm. you know, so a lot of people just kind of wait for the headliners, but no, this place, I found the States were really, really supportive of, you know, just people coming and playing. Yeah. It's great. So maybe it's like, I don't know, you guys do have like really good music. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe down there, that's more their niche. Right. But they didn't know who we were. <laughs> oh, okay. I suppose. Yeah. Maybe they're like, you know, we want to, we want to hear these guys. Maybe they got some good stuff. Yeah. I mean, there, it was cool. We did have some people be like, you know, I saw your name on the poster. And I thought I'd just give you a listen and I liked it. So I decided to come. Yeah. I was like, that's cool. You know? Yeah. They're like, oh, I've never heard of them. I'm going to check them out. Maybe I'll like it. So that's, that's, yeah. That's how I met uh, or how I started listening to crown lands. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I was going down to St. John and I saw that they were playing and I was like, I'm going to check them out listen to them and I was like these guys are native and they sound good yeah right well one's them, one of them's native so I was like I'm gonna check them out so down there like listening to them play and like you guys too it, I find there's a certain group of people that are in bands or musicians in general that when you listen to them live it's better than they're recording and you guys fall in that category because like like your voice is is spot on <laughs> you know like you. the the two girls that sing with you 
like spot on like i don't know it's just everything about it is just yeah we've always struggled with the how do you translate a live performance mm -hmm. onto a recording and i think some bands do it great mm -hmm. but uh you know like for instance and i'm not going to compare us to this band at all because we're nowhere near but like take the grateful dead for instance mm -hmm. like they weren't a recording band. They have studio albums, but like they were a live music experience. And their studio albums are great. Yeah. But if like you listen to the Grateful Dead like I do, it's like these live performances were incredible. Yeah. Because every single one was different. And I think the hypochondriacs kind of have a similar kind of just like MO, like idea that like we want to give just a, a, a really energetic live show and we want people to be able to come back and watch it again and get you know something different out of it maybe yeah because you know you only we only have so many songs but we want people to keep coming back mm -hmm. right so give, you gotta give you gotta give them a show and I, I i attribute that totally to being an elvis impersonator as well because when you're up there at elvis competitions you got to <laughs> yeah impress people yeah and if you don't sound like elvis well Buddy, you should put on a good show at least. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. That makes sense. And yeah. I never looked at it that way, like in the sense of like, when I go to live concerts or whatever, I go mainly because like I like listening to the band, right? I never really like look at the visuals of it. Mm -hmm. But now that you said that, next time I'm at a concert, I'm going to like really pay attention to the whole, just everything that's kind of going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, some bands are great at just standing there and playing music and mm -hmm. you're captivated and you'll go back for just that. But like... Sometimes it's just like snooze fest. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. man, fuck, it's 10 p.m. right now, and I could be in my underwear eat, eating a bag of chips yeah. on my couch. And then you know what? Then you're like, oh, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose you want to keep them <laughs> yeah, there captivated, yeah. right? Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'm just going to check that real quick. I'm worried about the lighting in here because usually I leave this open to make natural light, but these are use, working as diffusers, so it should be fine. Um, man, you <laughs> kind of answered like four questions at the, just at the start, you know, yeah. I, lo I love it though. I love it. Um, so like you kind of went over where you draw your inspiration from or how you started writing music. Right. But like right. music nowadays, like who, where do you draw inspiration from? Not in the sense of like other musicians, but like for me, when I edit photos, I have to be doing in a certain atmosphere. I have to kind of feel a certain way. Like, is that same way with music? Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I draw inspiration from everything, you mm -hmm. know, and it could be, you know, a little thing you hear on the radio maybe, or something someone says, and it's just like, oh, and then something clicks in you, and you're like, oh, I want to write about that. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, someone said something to me recently, and he said, oh, you know, he's just, he's just making regrets in real time, and mm -hmm. I was like, that's a fucking, that's hard-hitting lyric and i just like you know just things like that and sometimes and i mean like i'm a sucker to the spotify lords but like you go on like the discovery playlist and you hear something like way out of left field and you're like oh, okay that's really cool i want to yeah. wonder how i can kind of you know draw inspiration because when i wrote the first album i was listening to a lot of classic country mm -hmm. like a lot of george jones a lot of george jones a lot of hank williams and then like a lot of like the newer like kind of classic country guys like Dan Romano was doing like some classic country stuff, uh, Charlie Crockett, you know, just all sorts of, and I drew a lot of inf inspiration from that. Cause that's just what I loved at the time. Yeah. Then when Waiting came around, I was listening to a lot of like new Orleans and like Fats Domino and 
more of that early rock kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I want to draw inspiration from that. And now, I don't know, I've been writing a little bit and I don't even know what it's sounding like yet, but it, it will be different. But I, I mean, it does, we, you'll never, we never know exactly what it's going to sound like till I bring it to yeah. the rest of the game. Yeah, because your, your guys' albums have kind of been quite different from one to another, yeah. right? Like your first one is is amazing. Your second one is obviously all good, but um, like waiting is completely different from like uh, last night or whatever. Yeah, right? three, like four, yeah. It's, <laughs> you yeah. know, complete opposites. Um, but that's cool how you draw. Like I suppose like whatever you're listening to kind of does make sense, you know, kind of gives you that kind of feel and that's what you come up with. Yeah, right? and like, but when you get to play with like such great musicians, it's like they add so much to it you might even not even think of because mm-hmm. it was connor that really got me into like the dead and like we've been like incorporating a little bit more of that looseness kind of see what happens attitude to the set okay, as well yeah. which is exciting um it's funny that you bring up three four and, and uh, you said last night but that brings a funny story because we did the album three four and it's pretty pretty twangy mm-hmm. but there's this song right smack dab in the middle called last night it's yeah. a doo-wop song and i was like oh man we love that doo-wop song. I said, okay, well, if you love the doo-wop song, I'm going to give you more. Yeah. So I write Waitin' and, and I write, like, uh, Caught Up. And they're kind of like these, like, like kind of like surfy, kind of um, the best uh, way I could describe it is, a, is the movie That Thing You Do, if you've ever seen that. It's great, I haven't. No, great I'm, I'm film. I'm going to look it up now. Great film. And uh, and then I wrote this one, Tearjerker, uh, just country tune like straight country called highway number two and yep. then i released this doo-wop album because that's what i think every, that people want <laughs> and there was like oh man we love that country song so it's like okay well maybe i'll put some more country on the next album or i don't know yeah. i don't know what it's gonna be like maybe it'll be like simon and garfunkel who knows it could be anything that would be interesting <laughs> yeah, just be... Go, yeah take so, a few steps back um i don't know someone told me that your father was a pastor before is that yeah. right yeah, yeah. so your music, did you kind of like, did you grow up in a, like a Christian household? Or, yeah. Yeah. So is that something that you kind of draw a little bit of inf- inspiration from is like a little bit of gospel? Cause you do have, I think, or you made, might've sung one. I don't know if you have one, mm-hmm. but more of like, a, or no, that was the guys before you. I think they were, <laughs> they were talking about, uh, having a gospel song, but you don't have any, like not straight out gospel songs. No. I mean, I have a song called gospel, but it's only called gospel because it kind of sounds like a gospel song. Mm-hmm. But I do have a song on the first album called The Meeting Place, okay. which is kind of the tale of my experience with the church and more so my father's experience with the church. Okay, yeah. Because he'd founded this church in Fredericton in 95. Okay. So I was one. And uh, it was called The Meeting Place. And uh, dad was, you know, the main guy, um, preacher, minister, if you will. It was... My dad's an ordained Baptist minister, but he he's not super Baptist. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I hate the term non-denominational, but like, um, you know, he didn't care if he da- yeah. danced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty, pretty, even, well, more so today, pretty liberal. But um, uh, anyway, there was this group out of England called NFI, Newfound, I don't know, something, just a bunch of these guys. Anyway, my dad fell in love with their idea of they wanted to help my dad plant more of the meeting places around yep. Canada, whatever. So he signed on with these guys. They came over and um, <clears throat> dad 
was always an entertainer. Mm-hmm. He started out doing singing telegrams for this woman who run a company called uh, Perfect Parties by Nancy. Okay. So dad would either dress up as a clown or he had this like uh, kind of like hobo looking character and he was, he had a nerd character and he would just show up. He'd get hired to do like parties. He'd make balloon animals, do face yeah. paint, whatever. And uh, he was at the costume store one day and he saw this big goofy Elvis costume. So he buys it mm-hmm. and he kind of adds Elvis into his um, repertoire and he's a singer. He's a musician. So he was getting, he was singing and people were like, hey, you know what, man, you're pretty good. I mean, you, yeah. you look dumb, but you're pretty good. So in Owens, just outside of Owens Sound in Ontario, at a place called Collingwood, Ontario, there is an Elvis impersonating competition that dad joined. Anyway, this changed our lives. I mean, I saw dad up there performing for literal thousands of people. Yeah. That day I saw that, we went and got my first little costume. The rest is history. But the thing that was interesting about that is Dad kind of started doing more Elvis stuff because mm-hmm. people loved it. So he would go play at Frank's Finer Diner but down when it was on Main Street here. Yep. I would go with him, and all these ladies would be like, what do you do? What do you do? He's like, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a minister. Oh, well, we want to, we have to come to your church kind of thing. Like, this is amazing. We have to hear you preach. And he was like, he was an exceptional speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he met so many people that he changed their lives just like from meeting him through music and stuff and be like, oh, well, you know, I have this church and you should come out. And they, they would come. And, and it was like, basically, my dad wanted a church for people to, who didn't go to church. That was his kind of thing. Cause, mm-hmm. You know, you can preach to a congregation all you want about God and everything, but it, I mean, there's great lessons in there. But but what he wanted to do was kind of open people's eyes to the teachings of Jesus Christ, yeah, and kind of get away from this kind of like Old Testament kind of you know backwards looking. So absolutely, he found people through music and and whatever. Anyway, mm-hmm. the church saw this and they're like, no, you can't you can't be impersonating Elvis. Like mm-hmm. this is like, you know, it's ungodly. So they were like, um, we're going to like kind of let you step back as minister. This guy is going to take over and you're going to do kids church and whatever. So my dad's like, fuck, if you're going to maybe do kids church, I'm going to entertain too. So he would always be like blowing up balloons for kids as kids were leaving. And then they were all pissed at my dad because he wasn't spending enough time with the, with the adults. And mm-hmm. so they were all just kind of like really pissed off about him. So my dad kind of developed this really bad anxiety disorder. And, uh, uh, they even sent someone over to our house once and my dad got a calendar, an Elvis calendar for Christmas. Mm-hmm. This person they sent over to our house for dinner, just, we thought it was a friendly dinner, go back and report back to the church that we're worshiping Elvis as a false idol. We have, uh, uh we have oh, shrines wow. and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, I lived it. We did not, we liked Elvis, mm-hmm. but like, come on. Anyway, so they actually tried to perform an exorcism on my father. Uh, to wow. try and, you know, get the demons out. Because they were thinking his, his panic attacks were coming from, you know, Satan. Yeah. They thought he was possessed by the devil. They thought, you know, they told my dad he he wasn't anointed, um, uh, that he just he didn't have it anymore, and that mm-hmm. the church didn't want him. So it's either he kind of gave up the bit or he resigns. Wow. So I remember my dad and I were sitting in the front seat, and he was like, you know... Uh, I kind of had to make a decision here. It's either we, cause I was little, I would have been eight. Yeah. So the way he dumbed it down for me was, you know, it's either we, um, stop doing our Elvis thing or I stay at the church. And I remember just bawling my eyes out. I mean, like I liked church as a kid. I got to hang out with my friends. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know what the fuck was going on really, but like it was part of my life. It yeah. went, I went my whole childhood and I remember just bawling my eyes out and be like, but dad, we can't stop doing this. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. This is our thing. So he ended up resigning and, uh, you know, that put a big strain on our lives, you know, yeah. having, uh, you know, dad go from having this cushy job to us living in poverty. Mm-hmm. Like we had a beautiful, we had a good, we had a nice house because he bought it when he was in the church, but the shit my dad would have to do just to make sure the light stayed on where it was insane. Like he had to sell newspapers and like he ended up like starting to supply preach. He took on like, just like shit jobs and, you know, just to try to make things work because he, his passion has always been music and to talk to people and to reach out to people. He's still, uh, follower of Jesus what he calls himself because Mm -hmm. he doesn't I mean I don't want to put words in his mouth but like he he just he wants to live by kind of the word of Jesus Christ which is like kind of badass because Jesus was like a super hippie right Mm -hmm. he was he was seemed like a pretty rad dude and um you know kind of brought on you know a lot of angst in me um I've met with them since to kind of just tell them that you know fuck you yeah you've kind of ruined you ruined a part of my life and um you you for for what you know mm-hmm. it's like you haven't never reached out to me blah 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 anyway trying to kind of coming to terms more with it as i get older but yeah it was really uh it was really shitty yeah <laughs> yeah and you know that's what sucks too i was talking with somebody the other night about uh i was downtown i go downtown to play pool sometimes and uh Cause I don't party or anything, but I'm always by the bars <laughs> and I meet people. So I was me. I'm out. I met this girl and I was talking to her and then she got talking about how she's a Christian and all this stuff. And then she's like, but I don't go to church. And I find a lot of people that follow faith find, uh, they have like a bad experience with a church. Right. And it's all churches type thing. And, and sometimes that even pulls them away from faith. So it's, it's nice to hear that your, your dad kind of like still, like obviously you believe in that and that's it. You know what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. don't need a church. Church right. is just like, it's like training wheels. <laughs> it just helps you. Right. If you, you dive yourself into the book and, and you're there and you, you know, do everything that you need to, I find that that's important too. Right. Um, but no, someone was telling me cause I told them I had, I was going to have you on and they were like, yeah, his, his dad used to be a pastor. And I was like, no way. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to ask. Yeah. But that's crazy though. Like, yeah, so I mean, like, I don't go to church or anything anymore. Um, I'm like, I guess, like, more of an agnostic, but because of my background in church, and I also, you know, developed really bad anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. obsessive compulsive disorder, major depressive disorder, and I kind of link it all back to that, really. Uh, so, you know, I did a lot of, like, diving into di- even different religions because, you know, like, just kind of, like, see what's out there and it just seems like for me, there's such a common thread through everything good. And it's like, just be a good person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and it just, I think, I think it's just so much less complicated than it needs to be. And I've always said that like, I'm a spiritual person and I don't believe there's, you know, nothing when we die. But I, I, I always, always say, like, if, if I'm going to go to hell for, you know, 
things that the church would tell me I'm going to hell for, but I've lived a good life and, and I've been a good person. And it's like, then so be it. Mm-hmm. So what I had sex before I got married. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what? see, I, I, that's yeah. like old Testament stuff. I don't believe in any of that. <laughs> I mean, obviously like tattoos, like uh old Testament says that, you know, I'm supposed to get tattoos, but it says it because like culty things. Right. Right. It doesn't say like, these are art pieces, right? right? They're not, I'm not worshiping a, you know, an astronaut right. God or something. Yeah. Um, but things like that. So you answered that question too. So there we go. Um, and you answered that one then. Like, you, it's like you've done this before. Or I've done it a lot, <laughs> man. Um, actually, when I was down in St. John, I met a girl. Um, Ooh. And not like, <laughs> business wise. Okay. Because she might listen to this. <laughs> um, but you were on their podcast. Oh, was it Kate? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, um, the other one. Charisse? Yeah. Yeah. Strange Grooves. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, no, Shut super, out. super cool. Yeah, they're wicked. They're doing good work. They are. And they're, they're, they just had one release today. Um, but she gave me contacts for people I needed, right? So, yeah, man, they are, they're awesome. They're very, 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 very smart and very, very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're killing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, she was saying, yeah, we'll have to get you on our podcast. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not a musician because a lot of their stuff has been musician based. She's like, yeah, but you're the only other podcaster that we found in. Yeah. This area, right? And who knows, collabs too. Like they like they go all over the place and interview yeah. bands and like they're fucking awesome. I'm hoping one day. One yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> if I keep the keep the grind up, right? Um so what's something that you would have went through, right? Um that music, writing music has helped you get through. So like something I guess what how I have it here is the hardest thing you went through that creating music has helped you through. Yeah, well, the hardest thing I went through was, you know, I don't talk about it publicly very much, but just like um, a couple years ago, my brother had to leave the band, uh, and uh, that just led to just a fucking shit storm, Mm -hmm. and I won't get into it, but uh, that's been really, really hard Mm -hmm. to cope with, deal with the aftermath, like we haven't really talked in two years and uh just trying to navigating that like with my family he doesn't come around my family very much and my mom and it's even weird that i'm saying this but like i don't know I've, I've been trying to write about it but i don't want it to come off as like anger because i'm mm-hmm. not angry uh i want it to come off as love mm-hmm. right so uh juggling that because being having anger, like I feel angry, but I'm not an angry person. I don't get angry, and 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 I want to approach, you know, that situation with like open arms. Yeah. But, you know, it takes two to tango. So it's kind of like that's kind of the hardest thing I've dealt with. But the issue is, is I'm still dealing with it. Mm-hmm. So until you know that really comes to head. I don't know. Other than that, I'm like the classic fucking country singer that, oh, I have my heart broken. Here's a ding, 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 ding. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But that's that's just life. You know, that just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, losing touch with a family member doesn't happen all the time. No. That fucking sucks. So navigating that, figuring out how to, you know, get the family back together <laughs> without being angry yeah. is kind of, you know. The next move. <laughs> that makes sense, though. Yeah. And uh, that would be something hard to kind of, like, 
to like to put on to into a song right because like you said you don't want it to sound anger and angry but it might sound like that because like you said it's a situation that's kind of gray yeah know, i guess is like what i'm be, I'm, right? I'm not angry i get angry sometimes mm-hmm. you know i'll stew and it's like oh come on like ah bleh. that's just to me though that's just to myself yeah and uh but my dad gave me the best advice when I was a kid, and, he, and I've always stuck by it, and it's cool heads prevail. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens, chill out. Just take a minute. Take a day. Mm-hmm. Take two days, and then you can talk yes. about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because how many times have you like been angry, and he said something, and you immediately like, oh, what the f- why did I even... Why did he even say that? I remember like when I was like in my, I was late into my, I hate my parents phase. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say early twenties or like late teens even. And I remember like, sometimes I would just like snap at my mom and it's like two seconds. I'm like, that's your fucking mom, dude. What are you thinking? Yeah. If you just had like thought about that for two seconds, like <laughs> you wouldn't feel like an ass right now. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. That. Yeah, I think we've all experienced that, like, where you say something, you're like, oh, no, I wish I didn't say yeah. that. Um, so you answered that one. Uh, uh, ooh, this is a good one. So what's something that you have went through, right, or something that's happened that's almost made you quit music? Because I can tell you're really passionate about music. Um, Nothing. Really? No, I, I couldn't. I could never quit music. It's who I am. Yeah. It's a part of me just as breathing and, 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 you know, you know, thankfully seeing and smelling and hearing. It's one of my senses. It's, um, I love music. I love to sing. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, pisses my girlfriend off sometimes cause I, I just sing things that I see sometimes and, and my whole family kind of is that way you yeah. know especially with me my brother and my dad who are, are active musicians like it's just a part of me and you know and i think my dad kind of led by such an amazing example mm-hmm. especially with the stuff that happened with the church and even through that he's like you know what man i'm gonna st- i'm gonna fucking sing yeah like that's cool and that was always ingrained in me my parents like i grew up with like the most amazing parents are like no matter what, like do what you feel is right and do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I took a risk, you know, leaving school and just wanting to play music. I've had to work shit jobs. I've had, I still, you know, I still work. Mm-hmm. I love my job, but like, I still like, I have to fucking grind all summer long. I'm on the road sometimes for weeks at a time. Then I come back and it's like right back to work. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, some days that gets like a little frustrating, but nothing, you know, would make me want to quit music. Okay. I thought about quitting touring once when I was drinking really bad. But that's about it. That's not quitting music though. So that's, that's no. good that, you know, and like touring that, that must be hard too. You know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. you look at some of these big bands, like obviously they're like flying to their places and they're staying in like seven, like five star hotels, whatever. Like yeah. are you got you guys are driving, right? Most yeah, of them. Yeah, most of them. I mean, when we went down to Texas, we did fly down, mm-hmm. um, but we definitely didn't stay in a five star hotel. We did stay in a nice Airbnb though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we drive, but you know, it's like the hypochondriacs are a big, 
dysfunctional, awesome family. And I wouldn't want to be on the road really with anyone else. Yeah. So it's, we have a lot of fun and they're, it's a really good group of people. They're good people. I feel very safe around them mm-hmm. and uh, I trust them with my life. So, you know, it's, it could be worse. <laughs> you know, you could be in a band with a bunch of assholes who are, yeah. who are out, you know, like till four or five in the morning, you know, snorting Coke all night and stuff. It's like, that's not us. We're, uh, all right, show's over. We're going to go back, order a pizza. Yeah. Go to bed. <laughs> See, that's, that's cool. Yeah. And, uh, you, you seem like that too. Like, uh, just the interactions on stage. Um, it seems like you guys are like a family, right? Which yeah. is, which is cool to see. And I think that's what makes people enjoy your music more mm-hmm. in this. Like, it's the sense that like you guys are real, right? Like you're not, I mean, obviously when you get on the stage, you have to hype up a little bit, you know, be a little hyper, but that's you guys. That's how you are. Yeah. For the most part. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's cool. Um, so like with the whole music industry and stuff and like touring and writing music, does that like, has that affected mental health in any sense? Like, yeah, I mean, again, it's so easy to get caught up in, in a lot when you're on the road mm-hmm. or just, you know, playing bars and stuff. You drink too much and you're hungover the next day mm-hmm. and you feel like shit. Then you don't give a good performance. Then you're like, shit, I didn't give a good performance. I'm hungover. Or I didn't give a good t- performance because I drank too much before the show. And that it, it does, you know, plays a really hard toll on the mental health. Mm-hmm. But as someone who has suffered with mental health issues, you know, I would say my whole life, over the past 20 years, I'm only 29, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of like, how do I deal with my anxiety while also being a musician? Because I went into it already anxious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it took a lot. It took a lot and many years of making dumb mistakes and not doing the right thing before kind of just being like, okay, now it's time to smarten up, take the pills your doctor gave you. Mm -hmm. That works for me. And I'm not saying that works for everyone, but yeah, but you need to, you need to prioritize yourself and, and, uh, it's been a hard journey. Still not perfect. I still drink too much sometimes for a show, you know, or after a show. Or I show up, or I come hungover, whatever. That's an issue. But like, I'm tenfold better than I was before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I had, I spoke on a panel about it too at um, Music New Brunswick, just kind of like talking about burnout and mm-hmm. what that is and what it feels like and how do you cope with that? And uh, there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. Well, I guess there could be some wrong answers. Your yeah, coping <laughs> mechanisms are super unhealthy, but um, but I I I felt weird because I felt like I wasn't at a place to tell people because I'm not a success story, mm-hmm. right? With my mental health, I'm I'm a, you know I'm on a journey, but I think that works for people who are going through a really hard time to be like, look, I've been to the lowest of lows, yeah, you know. But now I'm not there anymore. I'm not great, mm-hmm. but I'm not bad. You know what I mean? Like I can wake up in the morning and be like, all right, I can get out of bed today. Yeah. And there was a while there, probably about a two-year span where it was like, I can't do this. I can't get out of bed. can't do it. Someone go to the liquor store for me, please, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 
then you see your parents are disappointed, your bandmates are disappointed, you're not performing well. It's like, well, then you just kind of smarten up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. do you find that that's helped helped you, like being around such a good group of people in your band, and, and obviously your parents too, right? Absolutely. So do you feel like that's kind of the rope pulling you back over? Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be here without them. I wouldn't be, you know, I've had Kelly and Janine come over to my house while I was crying in bed because I was, you know, just so depressed. I've had, you know, my whole band come over when I'm going through a hard time. Just, just not even talking about what's wrong, but just like hanging out, yeah. you know, and it's, they were just such a great group of people mm-hmm. and uh, it does help. And I think we all help each other. Like I said, the band is dysfunctional. And what I mean that it's like, we all get along real well, but we all have our issues. Yeah. None of us are, are perfect, you know? So we need each other. We, we make a weird balance somehow, <laughs> but it works. Out. Yeah, it, it's it works. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, so looking back, like when you were a kid, right? Like obviously, like you said, that first time you stepped up on that stage and you were like, you know, you, you and your guitar and you were singing some Elvis songs and you were like, I need this. This mm-hmm. is what I'm doing. Before then, like when you were into, like obviously music's been in your life, your, your, your whole life. Yeah. Could you imagine that you would have been, or you are, would have been where you are now? I think I worded that right, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sounded right to me. No. <laughs> no. Okay. No, I remember even when I was in like high school, I was like, I just want to, I want to play the main stage of Harvest. That's it. That's mm-hmm. my goal. And then it happened. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden it's like, all right, we're flying you down to Texas, going to South by Southwest. Holy shit. Yeah. I never would have thought that would happen. Like I remember getting music magazines and South by Southwest had a whole thing. It was huge. Mm-hmm. And no, I would never, ever would have thought I would have gotten here. Yeah. So, no, I'm like <laughs> super happy and I'm super honored and like very humbled by the whole thing. And I'm very aware that there's still a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. And don't just coast now. You know, you got to grind. <laughs> it's a grind. You've got to work. Yeah. Got to work. Keep writing. Keep playing. Don't be an asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's some good words. Yeah. That's good words. Yeah. So now, like, Harvest was the first stage you wanted, right? That was like. The big stage. Yeah. When before all this. And then, so South by Southwest happened. That was pretty cool. So now what are you feeling that is the next something you would want? Like in the sense of like, there's lots of stages out there. You know what I mean? There are lots of stages and I have been so lucky to play so many stages that are equally as great as Harvest and some big festivals, you know, Mm -hmm. to lots of people. And that's great. And that's a, that's a high, you know, that's a real high. You love, that's a great feeling. Yeah. My kind of short-term goal, like five-term goals, I would love to be a supporting act to like a big band. Okay. Go on the road with someone else, you know? Mm. That was, that. I think that would be really cool. And I think that would, you know, open a lot of doors for maybe people that wouldn't have seen you. Because how many times, yeah. you've probably gone to a lot of shows. How many times is the opener, you see the opener, you're like, holy shit, they were amazing. You buy their CD. Yeah. You already have all the headliner CDs. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that's, that. This is true. Yeah. I think that's. <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that's awesome. And, yeah. And uh, that's kind of what I've been like trying to push. You know, would love to like, I don't even know who. Yeah, because you guys don't have like, like you said at the start, you don't really, you're not, you don't have a genre. Like you're kind of, you're 
you guys are so versatile in the sense of like what you produce, right? Like you could be a country, country, like hardcore country fan and listen to your stuff and be like, yeah, this is good. You could be like that, that, what'd you call it? Doo-wop. Doo-wop, Americana. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all related, right? And we can even go back to talking about gospel music again. I mean, mm-hmm. in my mind, I know there's lots that came before like Southern gospel music. Mm-hmm. But for me, that's where rock and roll started. Because you had, you know, in the South, you had your white people, you had your black people, there was segregation. Mm-hmm. They had gospel music. Gospel, white gospel music sounded a lot different than black gospel music. Yeah, it did. But they were both great. Yeah. So then you had these white kids sneaking into black churches, hearing their gospel music and being like, holy shit. Yeah. So then these white guys take their twang, start singing black people music, and all of a sudden you get rhythm and blues, and then you have like, then this whole thing just like, it was like this huge kind of snowball mm-hmm. that just like, then rock and roll came and like that kind of classic country that all came from white gospel music. Yeah. You know, and like the blues came from black gospel music and it was all about both country and blues were people going through a hard time and singing about it. Mm-hmm. And then those people kind of met in the middle and like, let's write music together. And then it's like, Oh shit, there's rock and roll. Then rock and roll, then you get Johnny Cash, and then there's these people who are like, fuck the system. We love Johnny Cash. There's punk music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's insane. I suppose it does build off of like yeah. one little just. It's insane. I never really kind of broke it down in that sense, but now. And those old rockabilly guys, man, that's like early punk, early metal. It's like those guitarists weren't a thing. Like, look at like from Chuck Berry to Jimi Hendrix, and like Jimi Hendrix would inspire like all those early metal guys. And then those early metal guys, then you get like the heavy metal and the black metal and like all like this stuff. And it's like, it's, I don't know. I just, I love it. <laughs> I love thinking it like that. Maybe I'm wrong. This is my theory. Yeah, no, it's a good theory. But though. it's, it's a, uh, it's kind of like, cause I sometimes let's be driving. Like I said, I'm a bit of an agnostic man. And, but I, I love old gospel music. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Like yeah. now how old are we talking? Like, uh, like I'll fly away type. Yeah, I love that old like kind of bluegrassy type of gospel yeah. music. I love like the like the southern gospel music, especially like even like because Elvis introduced me to a lot of music, and he introduced me to southern gospel. He sang all those like "Why Don't You Swing Down, Sweet Chariot Stopping Let Me." And he, put, yeah. he whitewashed it, uh, and then you find the real version. You're like, "Holy shit!" Now, okay, now that I can feel that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like I love it all. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're super whatever to music i can tell like it's very you're very passionate about it i just like it yeah yeah i like what i like yeah and i like a lot of things (laughs) (laughs) that works um so like what are some collaborations that you would either as a solo act or a group but like someone you would love to work with dead or alive dead or alive well we'll do alive first because you know yeah oh man I don't even know. I'm not good at this. There's a guy named Neil Francis I would like to work with. I would like for him to play piano on my record. It's coming to Harvest, too. Check him out. I would love to work... Hmm. I would love to work with... I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What about Dead or Alive? Jerry Garcia. (laughs) That was easy. Elvis Presley. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Lewis. Little Richard. So there's a list there. Oh, yeah. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. Some of those guys. Crazy. 
And Neil Francis plays some piano. Oh, dude, yeah, because I, I said earlier about how, like, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Spotify. Mm-hmm. I was on Spotify, and there's this song came on. It's called These Are the Days. And I'm like, oh, man, this is an old, cool song from, like, like Chicago-style song from, like, probably the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. No, the album had just come out. And I was like, this guy is insane. I messaged him on Facebook. I was like, if you're ever on the East Coast of Canada, man, I would love to, love to open for you. Anyways, manager managed me back, and they're like, you know, he's not really on here, but you know, we never, we never know. Now he's huge. Yeah, and I'm not opening for him. <laughs> hey, you, you never know. Maybe you'll you meet maybe, him at the harvest. Maybe, or something. maybe somebody will drop out, and I'll get the gig. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be pretty yeah. cool. But no, um, thank you for being on. Like this is kind of like we're running, rounding about an hour. It was pretty good. Oh wow. Yeah. Time it, flies, it, man. Once you get a good conversation going, it's just like whoop. I know, and I get I get rambling, and I. You know, I start That's seeing things and then I'm just like, oh, why don't we go back to that conversation we had 20 minutes ago? Yeah, no, that's fine. I do it too. I do it too. Having these podcasts kind of help me kind of like structure conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm real bad in, in public. I'll just be like, hey, yeah, talk about one thing and then I'll hop back over here, hop back over here. It's like, can't do that on here. But the, great, the greatest collab that's happening right now is the Mike Bravner and Josh Bravner show. That so is happening. It is. We are doing it. I mean, this won't be. This will probably won't be. Out. We're doing it on Friday. Oh, and, uh, okay. this Friday. Yeah. Is that over the tannery? No. No, we hypochondriacs playing the tannery, but Dad and I are, uh, are uh, we're putting together a show, mm-hmm. and it kind of happened by happenstance, where um, our friends bought a bed and breakfast in in uh, Saint Andrews called Salty Towers. Okay. Salty Towers is owned by a guy named Jamie Steele before who. Uh, his son's Owen Steele. Both, both of them are great musicians. And their house was like, their bed and breakfast was like the place for musicians to go and stay. Okay. It was owned by musicians. Musicians stayed there. There was jams. They have, they have recordings that happen there. It's, it's, it was, it's a legacy. It's an it's a institution. Anyway, Jamie ended up selling to some family friends of ours Ooh. that I've known for ever. And this guy's a wicked piano player. And so... They wanted to get the house concerts back up and going. So they asked if uh, Dad and I would um, do a father's son show for Father's Day. Mm-hmm. We're like, sure. So Dad and I started shooting the shit about, like, well, how do we do this? You know, like, we both, you know, we both, like, do our, we can do some, like, old country songs. We'll start with that. And then, then maybe we'll do some of our own. It was really, it was really loose. So on the drive out, we're kind of talking more about it. Well, what should we do? He's like, why don't we do the first set, just covers that we like. Mm-hmm. It's songs that inspired us. And I was like, okay, cool. Then we went back and forth. We tell stories. And uh, then the second set, we, you know, kind of tell uh, stories of our own tunes. Mm-hmm. My dad, uh, uh, he has a couple albums out that do traditional New Brunswick folk music. Okay. Talking about the Miramichi River and stuff. And mm-hmm. So he does a lot of that stuff, and I tell a lot of stories. And uh, there was a lot of crying. We did it. We actually did it last weekend. A lot of crying there. So I think it's. I think it's going to be a good show. <laughs> and I think uh, we want to try to, you know, take it around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's exciting, though. Yeah, and it's been great because I haven't really played with my dad in a long time. Because when I was, uh, you know, doing hypo stuff, I would play guitar with him for mm-hmm. his rockabilly stuff. And I'm not. I'm not a sick picker or anything. So. Then I started playing piano with him. Not a great piano player either, but he always kind of wanted to keep me. He always want. He's strings a family band, you know. Mm-hmm. Aaron on drums, me on keys or guitar. So uh, we kind of tried that out, and uh, I'm just not good enough. But uh, 
then I got really busy with the hypos and he got really busy with his folk music and mm-hmm. kind of lost sight of that possibility. And then he started, kind of saw the Joel Plaskett and his dad album. He's like, that might be cool if we did something like that one day. I'm like, I would be, I would love to do that with you. And then this opportunity came up and we had so much fun and we laughed so hard and I didn't cry. Dad cried a lot. Oh, okay. I got you. <laughs> I'm a tough, tough nut to crack. <laughs> That's cool. Though. That's <laughs> yeah. exciting. And kind of like full circle, right? Like you're introduced to music because your dad plays music and then yeah. you kind of like separate and play your own thing. And then now you're coming around to like, you know, playing music together, uh, together again. And yeah, and we get to do that old rockabilly country stuff that we did. Yeah. But then we get to kind of like tell stories and share experiences, like kind of what's happened since. Mm-hmm. So it's been, uh, it's a really good show. If anybody's listening and wants a tearjerker at their next event. <laughs> hint, 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 people. Hint, hint. Yeah. I'm just going to check this. Yeah, we're good. But uh, anything you want to add? Any, uh, you know, shout outs to any social media, obviously? You got to give we're, that plug. We're on all the social medias. You know, the hypochondriacs looks up. Um, you know, we don't have too much to plug right now. We're uh, just back from touring. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to getting writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully have a new album, you know, within, you know, probably 2025, new record, and uh, tour the hell out of that when we can. But that's it. Shout out to the Hypochondriacs. Shout out to Mason Paul. Thank you. The one and only. <laughs> and uh, appreciate having me. Yeah, no, like I said, this is a, a must have when I started this. And after I was in the hospital and you're like, you were talking on the... Uh, <laughs> the phone and you're like your voice is really nice you, ha- you should do audiobooks yeah because you snapchat at me with why you sna- anyway you uh st- how you stabbed yourself yeah like, so i had your the- voice is amazing man <laughs> yeah you i had the podcast the throat thing down my <laughs> yeah. throat and after that it's like your voice is like really, like soothing i guess <laughs> it was <laughs> um but no this has been fun uh lots of information um lots of cool stuff um and you guys make sure to follow uh the the Late Late Podcast on Instagram and Mason Real Life, obviously. And definitely check out the Hypochondriacs on Instagram, all the socials, wherever you can find them. On all the things. On all the things. And you guys, is it, when's the show at the Tannery? That's Friday the, what's, what's this coming Friday? <laughs> <laughs> is, I, I don't know. That's a good 18th. 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 Friday the 18th. I don't, would this be out by then? Yeah, it will. Yeah. Next, mon- next, next Monday it'll be out. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, this is this Friday. Oh, frig. Are we the 18th? Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Okay. You guys missed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was dude. It was the best show. You will never <laughs> guess what I did with my shirt. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys. You have an awesome time. Bye.